And I think it's just drawing that awareness to how you're thinking and how that's impacting where you're feeling, perhaps that awareness to where those thoughts are coming from. I think that in itself is just really helpful. And I think we often lose that sense of awareness. Everything's just sort of coming at us, rushing over us, running through us, that we don't ever get a chance to think, you know, is that, is that what I really think? Or is that how I'm really feeling? Or what would make me feel better about this situation? Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives, sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritise your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is Jordan Mitchell, co-founder of Good Culture Inc., a talent and brand agency that does what it says on the tin, focuses on good culture. Jordan is renowned in her industry. She's got more than two decades of experience and is an expert negotiator who I certainly wouldn't want to sit across the table from. Definitely want her on my side. Jordan has worked with every major brand you can think of, Net-A-Porter, Dior Beauty, John Lewis, H&M, Skims, and has built the profiles of talent, including Stefan Don, Munya Chihuahua, Clara Ampho, and Laura Jackson. She has a podcast showing up and is a notable voice within the industry, using her platform to write for publications such as Grazia, covering topics from motherhood and careers to diversity and equality. She's a very open and honest interviewee, and I think this is a special episode. Enjoy. Welcome, Jordan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm going to start this just with a moment of breathing because you're coming to me from a really, really busy 24 hours. Yeah. So I'm going to suggest that we just take three really deep breaths together before we get started. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. All right. And everyone can obviously join us or you can skip ahead 15 seconds, depending on how you're feeling. All right. Deep breath in. Full breath out. Let it go. And again, breathing in, breathing out. Last one, breathing in, hold at the top and breathe out through the mouth, bit of a sigh maybe. Let it go. Oh, I didn't realize how much I needed to breathe. Sometimes we just need a moment, even if it is less than a minute. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I really needed that. Okay. So normally I record in the morning and I ask people if they have a morning routine. We're, we're quite late into the afternoon now. So I'm curious about two things. First of all, do you have a morning routine? Mm. And secondly, do you have like an afternoon pick me up that really connects with you that you? Yeah. I love that actually. I, I I think I need to figure out the afternoon pick me up, but I definitely have a uh, morning routine. Um, and I started doing it during lockdown because I realised in lockdown everything went um to shit. If you're allowed to swear, absolutely. And um and I had no structure to my days and nights and and everything goes into one. So. I started off by working out each morning, doing sort of 30 minute kind of Pilates, YouTube video, really basic. And and now I've sort of evolved that. So I have every morning I have a little shot of Simprove, which is um, for gut health. Um, and I discovered that because my son has autism and Angela Scanlon put me onto it actually and introduced me to the founder. So that was great. And I saw how brilliant it was for him. So I started doing that. So I have shots improved before I drink or eat anything. Then I go straight into 30 minutes of a kind of Pilates hit class. Um, and then after that, I will have a kind of hot herbal tea um, and some water. And um, that's that's sort of my um, ritual. And if I am going through times of 
of real sort of stress, which in the world of work that I have chosen, there were real moments of of stress and imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all of those sorts of things. And when I kind of feel sort of my negative voice rising, I will then always make sure that I do sort of 10 minutes of affirmation and and again YouTube's brilliant for that so I'll just find sort of an affirmation sort of meditation um YouTube video which I'll do and uh if I do it before the kids go to school I'll make sure that they do it with me as well and that can just be a moment where we lie down on the floor and hold hands and and just repeat some affirmations because sometimes we all need to remind ourselves that we're enough and it's okay and and we're good enough do you find that's really effective for you? Weirdly, I I kind of approach the affirmations with a little bit of, um, I was a bit dubious really, thinking, well, how will that help? Um, but actually for me it does, and I don't know whether it's that placebo of thinking that you've done something helpful to then make it feel like it's having an impact. But regardless, I do. Yeah, I come away from that feeling a little bit more resilient and a little bit stronger and a little bit more self-assured. Well, our reality is the reality of our thoughts, right? And what we're saying to ourselves and what we're repeating to ourselves. And the more that we repeat something, the more true it becomes for us, the more those mental synapses fire. Mm. So there really is some very good science behind affirmations or using your thoughts to empower yourself and create better thought patterns for yourself yeah I really believe that and I think I started it kind of off the back of coming through a cycle of really intense and intrusive negative thoughts sort of cycles and it was sort of spinning me out a bit because it was just so repetitive and and brutal actually and I you know read this read this book actually by Roxy Nafisi who is a pal and um she she's written a brilliant book and that was sort of part of my unraveling and I didn't actually think that I could break that cycle but but actually I've been able to to halt it I've, I've not I've definitely not stopped it but I've I've definitely caught myself when I'm sort of going around and gone oh <laughs> it's you it's you again but identifying actually when you know don't believe everything you think is is wild because actually you think your thoughts are you 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 think because you're thinking it that is your reality and that's your truth and and just that sort of nuance between realizing that you can have thoughts that aren't necessarily thoughts that you believe or that aren't true to you. It's quite profound, actually, when you've spent your whole existence always just thinking your inner voice is, is you. Mm, absolutely. When you gain that little bit of distance yeah, put between them, even if you can't necessarily stop them, they're still going to come, particularly if they're ones you've had your entire life. Yeah. But as you say, it's just that's that questioning observing I think I'm trying to remember who I think it was an Eckhart Tolle book I was reading and I'll I'll try and remember it so I can recommend it at the end um and it and it was that thing about just observing your thoughts and you don't have to have an immediate reaction or try and dispel them or challenge them you can just observe them coming in and out and I think it's just drawing that awareness to how you're thinking and how that's impacting where you're feeling, perhaps that awareness to where those thoughts are coming from. I think that in itself is just really helpful. And I think we often lose that sense of awareness. Everything's just sort of coming at us, rushing over us, running through us, that we don't ever get a chance to think, you know, is that is that what I really think? Or is that how I'm really feeling? Or what would make me feel better about this situation? I think we also realize how much our thoughts change. Absolutely. Right? When we do that, there's a meditation that I teach, which is, 
you know, observing your thoughts like clouds in the sky. And it's particularly popular when I do um, corporate workshops, I think, because mm. everyone sort of hasn't necessarily done that before or been in that space. And putting that time aside just to, as you say, observe what's going on. So you yeah. better, better read on the temperature of your mind and your thoughts and what's happening. Absolutely. I think what you've just said there as well, in terms of doing it in the corporate space, now we're going to be like, we're going to have to book you in for the team. <laughs> because I actually think, you know, in the work that we do, all these businesses, we're all like, oh, we care about mental health and say all these sorts of statements. And, you know, the company I co-founded alongside Liz Makush, my business partner, called Good Culture, is all about actually being good from the inside out. And and so, you know, having people like you come into the workplace and and doing these things, it's really important to sort of stand by that, to give people the mechanisms and the tools to be able to 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 not only cope but flourish because actually when when we feel good we are awesome and we can do really great things and we can do great things at home and great things at work and and when we feel good you know that's sort of infectious it everyone feels great what makes you feel great jordan do you know what at 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 this moment in time and this is kind of coming off the back of I found out I lost my grandpa yesterday who was an amazing, amazing force. So what makes me feel great is family, actually. And as we talk, my house is filling up with family who are kind of all coming around um, together to be together. And and actually, I when I think about the moments that I most look forward to in the year, it's punctuated by moments of togetherness of family. So I feel really, really great when I know that my family feel good and when my family are feeling happy and my kids. And, and I think, you know, my extended network being, you know, my friends are like family. So, um what makes me feel good is 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 yeah the coming together of family and and often being the epicenter the host of those family moments is that a space you thrive in i do you know i i feel really connected to my grandparents in a way because my my both my grandparents my my nan and my grandma um were just the ultimate hosts like they were sort of you know the, the their homes and I think for for many not all but for many people that you know they think of fond moments of like going to their grandparents home and and that being again like the epicenter of of family and so I feel like when I'm hosting I'm I'm sort of living through and living kind of my grandmoms my grandmothers my nans um, I feel their energy, you know, so I love that. I really agree with you there. I feel the same way about my grandmother. She was a big host and I love hosting. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do. Yeah. It's so, that sense of looking after people, isn't it? It's that sense of caring for others. And I think I love kind of projecting like joy onto others, I think. Yeah, I do. Mm, bringing people together mm. so one of your priorities you actually gave me was creating joy and stability for your family which from what you said earlier also includes those friends that we consider family yeah so Absolutely. hosting would be a way that you do that creating moments yeah I'm a big moment person like my husband always looks like oh, for God's sake, you've just got Halloween out the way. Why have you already got the Christmas decorations out? And it's like, yeah, because we need moments to be, you know, looking forward to. And yeah, I just love making a moment of of everything because we've only got this one time. So we've got to enjoy it. I think we sound quite similar. My husband's always like, oh, Halloween's finished. 
and you're already planning a Christmas party. We need to hang out more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is the start of something really important. (laughs) Of a rollout joy party. Yeah. I think also it comes down to like a lack of rituals in our modern life, right? And like a lack of community. Yes. That we're so we're so individualistic in the way that we live within our homes and within like even the way we live in society, also especially being on our phones the whole time, like looking down, being in this little portal. Yeah. That we're lacking those more common sort of everyday moments of coming together. I think you're so, so right, because when I think back to sort of childhood, we would always go to my grandma's after school and it would be where all the cousins were. And, you know, we were always, there was always that sense of togetherness. And I even think when my mum was raising us, you know, on the Saturday, she'd go around to her friend's house. And again, we'd be there with a sort of gaggle of other kids. And there's less of that now, like there's less of, oh, we're just going to pop over to such and such house. You know, it's like, fair enough, you'll go out with the girls and a brunch or whatever, but it's, not that sort of casual just going round to each other's houses and just hanging out because you just want to hang out. Um, and certainly, I don't know whether it's this new generation of grandparents, but certainly like my mum's not <laughs> having. <laughs> She's like, girl, you go and sort out your childcare and go and find yourself a nanny because you guys are not all coming around to my house on a weekday unannounced let me just tell you that now (laughs) so and I think this is like a I think this is like a wider issue with the grandparents of the gen like they're they're too booked and busy they're too young (laughs) got their own stuff they've got their own stuff and what about stability so you said creating joy and stability what does stability look like Stability for me is huge because I feel in ways when I was growing up, I didn't have too much of that. My mum and dad's relationship at the time was, you know, quite um, volatile. And so it, it really meant that I had a sense of like, immense fear growing up I constantly feared for my mom I was always really worried about her um and and so even though she created an incredible environment I think there was always a sense of you know um things could change at a moment's notice and it felt unpredictable so creating a sort of stable home environment for the kids for my kids now um and moments of joy and and lightness is just a massive priority for me it's it's really what I live for very often right that it can create someone who's really a homebody yeah yeah and it's weird because my career and sort of chosen professional life is it's probably not akin to a homebody you know I am out a lot and you know on the gram it looks like I'm living my best life and for the most part I am actually because I chose a career in an industry that also was about joy and and an environment where it was about being creative and and fun. I have to say, like, working in entertainment is fun. I wouldn't do this sort of job in this sort of field if it wasn't. I'd just, you know, be a banker and earn loads of money doing something else, right? So for me, I was attracted to um, the, the fun um, and to some extent, how it can be quite lighthearted and joyful, but trying to marry both of those things about having a stable home, but also having a really um, demanding career is, is it's almost kind of two sort of tensions. It's like a paradox because it's sort of both on the opposite scale 
Um, and it's taken me a very, very long time, probably a decade really, to find what that balance is and, and how I create stability for the family um, whilst also, you know, doing something I'm really passionate about. And and a lot of that has come down to having a nanny and having really great support and infrastructure. And so I think, you know, stability doesn't always necessarily have to come from just one person. It's really about having a kind of an infrastructure and an ecosystem that allows everything to work. Um, and and yeah, that's that's important. And that also takes time to kind of find what that balance is and find the people in your in your world that allow you to to create a stable environment. I think you've hit on something really important there in general as well, which is the fact that for mothers, mm. creating an incredibly joyful, stable home life and going out and having a super successful career are mm. at odds with one another. Yeah, absolutely. They are very, very hard to make work, especially because often nowadays the two come at the same time. Yeah, they do. And I think people should be honest about the fact that it's, it's not it's not easy and actually at some points in your career in your life sometimes you make a choice and sometimes that choice is prioritizing career over day-to-day family life and to say that out loud it it feels uncomfortable because we've been made to feel judged because of those choices and I've certainly felt judgment and and people go, oh, God, you know, Jordan, but you work so hard. And I'm like, yeah, I do, because I've bought a house, you know, and and whilst I'm married and my husband's, you know, he's brilliant and, and he does incredibly well for himself. But I bought this house. I save for this house. It's all in my name. And I did that for the little me that didn't feel stable when I was growing up and you know, we were left in a really uncomfortable position because my dad left and my mum wasn't in the position to to give us everything that she could have done if they had been, you know, um, together. And so for me, part of that stability was actually equipping myself so that regardless of whatever my situation is, whether I was on my own together or, you know, living in a hippie commune, that I could still give my kids the absolute level of quality of life with or without anyone. And that, that, that's been the goal. So yeah, for me, I've, I've had to prioritize different things at different times to allow me to be in the financial position where I can do that. And, and I'm fortunate enough that I can enjoy that with a husband who's a brilliant father and, and, and an incredible partner. And we can share that. But there was a huge part of me that wanted to prioritise being able to at least do it for myself, just in case. And yeah, that goes back to sort of childhood, I guess. Also shows your kids something really important, teaches them a really important lesson about prioritising yourself and about working and going out there and achieving. And having that motivation and drive, that's really inspiring. You can't yeah, yeah. teach kids to prioritize themselves and then not prioritize yourself at all. Like you gotta yeah. walk, walk, walk the talk. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see that and I definitely see that with my eldest daughter, Jada, who's 19 now, and um, you know, just how she speaks about me and 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 the work that I do and and seeing that pride, that that is everything, because that's what all the sacrifice was about. And, you know, I had her when I was 17 and the odds were stacked, you know, so highly against me and her. You know, we we it was a real it was a real challenge to get to, you know, even half of where I am today, let alone where I am today. And where she is today, you know, she's an incredible young actress at university in East Anglia, kind of, you know, in Norwich on her own, doing it for herself. And I think 
I hope that part of her seeing me go through the challenges of of just you know raising a family but but also just being a young woman and being ambitious I really want that to motivate her and know that there's not anything she can't do you know and and I'm I'm really not one for limiting beliefs or projecting those sorts of things and whenever I see her sort of having those elements of sort of self-doubt or kind of procrastination I really try and sort of push against that and and really try and kind of you know drive her to push herself to her full potential let's talk about your agency then good culture good culture god (laughs) that's like it's my second but it's my fourth child should I say (laughs) um so Liz and I my business partner we've worked together for 10 11 years now and we've known each other for about 15 years and so we've been working together as sort of a team for kind of feels like nearly two decades and so the agency prior to good culture and it's important to put it in context um was uh, an agency called LMPR um founded by Liz and we were ultimately publicists. So we worked with, you know, some really incredible talent over the years. And then two years ago, we really felt like we were kind of at this crossover, this crossroad with, you know, with COVID and the world and the way that it was. And, you know, there was so much more that we could kind of offer and so much more that we wanted to bring to to culture, to entertainment, to the creative space. And, and I guess under the kind of current guise of LNPR, we were kind of limited to, to what we could do together as well, because, you know, I was working there as an MD. And, and so we set up Good Culture as a new business, as two founders, um, kind of share, jointly owned. And, and really, we set that up to sort of challenge and create a more equitable space for storytelling um, and to help kind of future-proof brands and and our talent really for, for a changing world because what was abundantly apparent, you know, after sort of COVID and Black Lives Matter and all of these kind of movements was that people wanted more from the brands and people wanted more from the talent and and people wanted to sort of see things that had more purpose and more meaning and more than this sort of vacuous hashtag spawn vacuous brands just shouting out narratives and it was really about holding a mirror up to kind of I guess a current landscape and capturing the current zeitgeist to create something with meaning um and also that worked beyond the realms of PR as well, because again, PR has evolved and changed. And so we really focused on this sort of marketeer-led sort of storytelling approach. Um, and so PR is one bit of it, but it encom- encompasses so much more. So it's just anything that sort of, whether you're reading it in a magazine or whether you're seeing a campaign, an out-of-home campaign, or whether you're seeing something really interesting on social media it was about creating stories and creating impact in different ways what you said um about brands wanting to do better made me think of the the recent mental health day where you had all the like electrical companies um i'm not going to name any because i'm not sure (laughs) legals if I do that but who are putting out sort of Twitter posts or Instagram posts saying you know we we, you know mental health is important and then everyone replying underneath being like yeah so stop charging me so fucking much my electricity if I could pay my bills that would make my health a lot better I know it's insane and I think what is really powerful about the time we're in now is that we all have a voice whereas I would say you know 10 15 50 years ago you would have these big brands 
just sort of setting the rhetoric and you know the narrative and that was it and people weren't able to challenge so if 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 a one of these sort of you know big electric gas companies want to say oh you know we're advocates to men for mental health despite the fact that we're you know inflating these prices to a point where not only is it impacting mental health but actually people's well-being and 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 ability to survive actually but you know they could just sort of say whatever they wanted and people weren't in a position to challenge it and hold them accountable where there's been a massive paradigm shift now where we're in a time where people can say no do better and really challenge it and and galvanize um you know a community of voices that can really push back and impact change and I think that's that that's the difference and and now we can't just talk to people we have to be part of the conversation and so the brands that hopefully will do well will be the ones that listen and actually create sort of change and course correct and go no you're right we can do better and be accountable and I think those are the sorts of brands that will survive in the next 50 years um, because the ones that are just still talking at people, really underestimating what people power really look like now, you know, mm. um, and, and, you know, we can affect change. And, and if anything, we're probably not doing enough. We're not kind of joining together enough um, to, to hold more of these brands and businesses to account. Okay, little break in this episode and I've got a quote for you. Let this be a subtle reminder of the depth in simplicity and the complex but not complicated nature of being. It's kind of natural, right, to overcomplicate things, especially in our modern world where so much fires for our attention all the time. But just focusing instead on the complexity of being makes everything feel more manageable and also beautiful. Maybe it's just semantics, but I really like this. The quote is from Heath Way, an Australian artist who I'm clearly a big fan of. I've actually got one of his paintings in my house. And he just had a show in London with The Dot Project, a female-founded contemporary art space and also the sponsor for this week's podcast. Heath's show, Come in Good Spirits, is available to view by request at The Dot Project London space. But the works are also up on their website, where you can check out the rest of their brilliant artists who are mostly emerging or mid-career, so you know, ones you can get in on the ground floor with. Have a look, www.thedotproject.com. It's the biggest positive of social media, really, is this accountability. And as you say, we're not quite using it to its potential. I mean, clearly, we all spend time like watching cat videos or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> watching people change outfits for like hours um I know right do you have um do you have a set of values that underpin good culture so when you're looking at a brand or looking at an event or a person or how to work something do you have a litmus test that you use absolutely I mean first and foremost there needs to be an intent because a lot of brands and particularly kind of focusing on brands for this, they aren't always where they want to be. So a lot of brands will come and say they want to be doing more in the sustainable space. They 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 want to they want to be more diverse. They they have these great intentions, and I guess what we look for is is actually are they able to sort of mobilize against these sets of intentions because if you're just using us for lip service then actually we're not here for that you know when people talk about wanting to be diverse but you sit in the boardroom and there are absolutely no people of color or there are you know no representation for the lbgtq plus community or there's just this sort of one sort of person you kind of then say well you can't really affect change because 
it's performative. If all you're doing on on the sort of the outside is just putting out campaigns that look a certain way, but actually internally the infrastructure isn't there yet, then that is the definition of being performative. Um, and so for us, it's really important that the people that we do work with are also introspecting and looking internally at how they're showing up um, and how they're driving change. And if they're not 100% there yet, they're certainly aware of where they want to be and where they need to be in setting that intention and mobilizing against that. Um, I think, you know, in terms of values, we really look at people that are purposeful with, with the work that they do as well, that they want to do things that are going to drive an, a, a positive kind of change in culture and really impact change positively. Um, and also really just good people. Like we want to work with people that make us feel good, that make our team feel good and that are genuinely, you know, wanting to collaborate to 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 create good work and i think you know those are the things that are are incredibly important and and like i say you know you as an individual or brand you don't have to be all the way there yet like you don't but it's that intention and you're taking those meaningful steps and and of course we're part of that you know the fact that if someone comes to us there's an intention there because they know what we're about, we're about kind of driving purposeful and, and meaningful change in, in culture. And, and that is both internal and, and external. So I think that's kind of phase one, but they, they have to be committed to the course. What you said about internally showing up, so these brands are really behind the scenes, it's all going on as well. I think that's a really good piece of advice for anyone to take for themselves as well, right? Like Absolutely. So I think we touched on it at the beginning, you know, if you're talking about kindness or compassion or joy, but you're not applying those things to yourself. Absolutely. Where are you really leading from or what's going on? And there's that dichotomy. So that brings me on to your third priority, which yes. was your own well-being. Yeah. I'm I would say that this is something I'm constantly working on. Um and I think I'm trying to prioritize where my head's at, which is why sort of my morning kind of rituals are so, so important because it just makes me feel like I've chosen me. And I think once you start getting yourself used to, even if it's little pockets of time where you choose you, you get better at doing it in, in other aspects of your life. So yeah I think I am a big I love like um a Brené Brown um I love an Eckhart Tolle I love any sort of any sort of book or podcast that is about self-development because I'm really I think if everyone did that <laughs> the world would be such a better place um and so I kind of, I try and work on myself so I can be the best mum that I can be, the best partner, the best boss, the best friend. And, and when you're kind to yourself, actually it allows you to have more empathy for others as well. Um, so even just, you know, you at the top of this podcast, just saying breathe. Like, actually, if we all just took a breath and just took a beat, before then we went into something, before we answered that email, before we internalised that thought, I think we would start to get to a place where we could all be, you know, a lot more resilient and handle things in a better way. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I really think it's so important to just try and to try and work on you so that you can be grateful for yourself, but also great for others as well. Has this always been the case for you? I would say the fact that I've been described as a hothead <laughs> by my mum <laughs> would indicate that this is a recent journey. Um, <laughs> I, I am by nature 
very I am I'm really fiery like you know you can I can feel it if someone was to read my aura they would just see flames <laughs> it would just be flames <laughs> there wouldn't even be a color it would just be like <laughs> because I think in my in my very like essence I am like very fiery and emotional and passionate super super passionate um so I've definitely tried to take steps to really just manage that and simmer down for myself as well because actually then when you're a fiery person you go into everything with passion and and also like on high alert as well you know like I'm always hyper vigilant would always take anything as a potential attack and so when you're kind of predisposed to sort of see things in a way where it's like what do you mean I look nice (laughs) (laughs) a trick a lie I'm on fire Um, it's it becomes really it becomes really challenging but I would say in the last sort of two years I've really started to to work on myself and I've definitely seen it in my relationship because I think you know your partners are the ones that really get the brunt of your true self, the truest self. And um, poor Darren, uh, I think, was singed with all the with all the fire. So <laughs> he's he's you know he's doing he's doing fine now. So I think I think things are getting better. And then you still bring the fire when you need to. Oh, when it comes to negotiating those deals. The fire comes back. The clients benefit. The clients love the fire. They're like, Jordan, you do it. <laughs> yes, okay. Let's add another zero onto that. <laughs> <laughs> what's an area that you don't prioritize? What's something that's not important to you? Oh, I think, do you know what? And I can't remember what I said this. I think I've said. I find it really difficult to not have everything at this level. So this level is everything's a priority. Mm. So for me, I find it really difficult to put things in an order, which is which is actually sometimes to my own detriment because I will try and prioritise seeing my friends, going to the work event, being there for the kids, building a racket after school, doing games, vagina tightening, you know, I'm doing, (laughs) I had it, I had it last week, laser, highly recommend. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm trying to do all of the things. And so I think what I need to get better at is, you know, if everything's urgent, if everything's a priority, then you're not good at managing. I read that somewhere. Like if everything's urgent, then you've not, you've you've not staggered things out and I would say in a work situation that's not the case but certainly in in a life situation and I guess work is part of that holistic life situation I think I try and put the same amount of energy into everything and I can't so I need to hear what other people's things that they don't prioritize and then I'll just (laughs) copy that and I'll learn I'm like what is it plants I'm not prioritizing watering my plants because they all die so yeah I'm with you with that one I always say that if everything is a priority nothing is I agree which is what you were definitely touching on earlier and I'm actually I'll send it to you tomorrow I've just written a newsletter that comes out tomorrow all about being mediocre in some areas of your life yes in letting those standards slip and in yes. being okay with being like, yeah, I haven't done that very well, but that's okay because that didn't need to be done really well. Okay. By not doing that well, I've got more energy and time and effort for the things that are really, really important. I love that. I think, I don't know if I should admit this, but I'm going to be honest because who's the boss? No one. Um. I probably am mediocre at doing the kids' homework and it's because I really don't like doing it. I absolutely fucking hate it 
I absolutely hate the homework. I'm like, let's just play. It's the homework every time. So yeah, I probably, although it should be like my top priority, it's the homework that gets me. And I don't open the the, the homework, the bag, the, the bag that they get from school enough. I always then scrabble and do it in the morning and I'm like, shit, it's mufty day and it's, it's too late. We're still at the nursery stage, but I have a feeling that there'll be a lot of people listening who can relate to what you're saying. And also the homework isn't the only education. Lots of the education is everything else. Yes. Yes, that's what I like, that's what I'd like to say. Like holidays is part of the education. They're there at school to learn. Like that's what the teachers are doing. That's the bit. That's the bit. I yeah, that's the bit. I but I I genuinely now I'm really unpacking. I really want to be good. I really want to be better at at that side of things at that kind of yeah for sure and and I guess the context around that is because my son who's 13 my middle boy so I've got three and my middle boy he's 13 and he's autistic and he's like severely autistic in that he can't read he can't write he can't tell the time you know all of those sorts of things and so I think I've got I've had a bit of a block against sort of those the homework in the traditional sense because I find it really challenging just to see him really struggle and it's not oh just seeing him struggle oh god you know boo-hoo it's more that he can't do it and the, the school have said that he will never be in a position where he can but I still always try and and not try in a way where I'm trying to force him to do something that he can't and make him feel a sense of sort of disappointment but I'm always trying to find different routes to try and help his learning and so when you know we're trying these different things and and you know we we don't always progress I guess it that feels hard and then it makes me feel like you know it's just kind of a constant reminder of of that when we're not going to get there and you know I've got uh my youngest is now three and so we do do these things together and I have these sorts of little learning games that I find and and we try and do it as a family now um with with even involving Jude and I guess for me there's some sort of there's some sort of sadness in seeing Jude be able to do the things that my in his three that my 13 year old can't do um and I guess there's an internal dialogue of frustration there and I guess because I'm used to thinking it's everything's mind over matter you can push through you can achieve anything but having to reconcile that actually that's not always the case I think that's probably why I then find it harder to to keep kind of trying yeah so yeah I think that's it you got a lot there with your kids you got big age gaps yeah and very different needs to navigate at the same time yeah it's it's... it sounds to me like you support and show up a lot and I think maybe if you listened back to what you just said it may be an example of what we were talking about at the beginning with the affirmations, mm. whether this might be something you're saying to yourself, but if you really look at the facts of how you behave and how you support your children and was it Jude, mm. what, what you're doing with Jude and the way in which you're imparting that sort of um, that motivation to keep learning, even if his learning looks completely different from from your other children or other children that you see I think you'll find that that's all there yeah yeah it's it's a tricky one because it's not something that I talk about often because it's there's not really the space to and and also I guess when you don't have people in a similar situation it's it's really hard for people to understand or or relate um 
and so it's just something that you know I kind of navigate in my own sort of personal space but yeah I think having a child with disabilities and and autism is so complex and I think people have their own sort of you know their own sort of view on what it is because it's so different for everyone and so you know people can be quite flippant and say oh god you know and and they often relate to when they're having a sort of dialogue with someone that's quite awkward or you know be like oh god I think she's a bit autistic or you know it's just something that people say it's a really kind of throwaway thing and sometimes I think god if you unpack what you mean it's actually quite negative what you're saying because this person might not be autistic they might just be difficult and you know to sort of have this sort of general homogenized sort of view on on what what it is 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 tough but I think with Jackson and it's Jackson Jude's my youngest but Jackson's my middle boy and um he has autism and global delay so I think there's a combination of things at play there and um and there are times where actually you know everything feels really awesome and everything feels really brilliant and and we've gone through the toughest time actually for him although I think weirdly it's almost in different life stages where you get new challenges so kind of I guess from sort of 12 months to say seven was the hardest seven years of my entire life because in that time we were going through the diagnosis and then it was the shame and then it was navigating what that meant and then it was sort of him being in mainstream school and then having a horrific time there and having to find a specialist school for him and you know him hitting himself the you know his anger and and his sort of you know hitting his sister and all of that stuff and not being able to get the right nanny for him because it was all just like an absolute whirlwind of pain for seven years and then we're kind of coming through this other side where he's 13 now and actually the last three years have been really great because he's been in a stable environment with his kind of new school and he's kind of been able to communicate and 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 have joy and independence to some extent which has been brilliant but then I think when he hits that 16 plus there will be a whole nother thing because then the independence the little independence he has now will feel like nothing compared to what he will want to do because he won't be able to go out by himself you know the the relationships that he might be able to forge we don't know whether he have a girlfriend where you have a bo- you know all of these sorts of things will be able to work and he won't certainly be able to live independently so that has a whole host of other challenges so I'm really trying to be present in the now and really enjoy the now and the now is pretty awesome the now is brilliant and I'm grateful for what we have right now but I'm always it's always sort of omnipresent the next phase of what we might you know be navigating for sure do you have any advice for parents who might be listening who are in that initial stage that sort of one to seven years because I got a couple of friends who are in that who I know listen yeah and I'm sure would love to hear what you have to say I would say firstly be kind to yourself because in that early stage, there's a lot of internal blame. You think a lot of this is your fault. Um, I would say that, you know, the shame that you feel by not having a child that fits in, you often, I often felt like, oh, you know, oh God, I don't want to go to this party or I don't want to do this because of how, you know, Jackson would, behave and it and it really was more about trying to protect the people around him versus just letting him be him and it was always trying to just micromanage each moment and actually 
I think if I could go back, I would just sort of step back from trying to sort of manage how he's playing with other children and manage how other people are responding to him and kind of just manage how that all played out and actually just be okay with the fact that he is who he is and people will just figure it out and he will figure it out um because I spent a lot of those seven years with like this knot in my stomach where it was just constant anxiety of managing these moments um and I would also say speak because the more you speak to people the more actually people can relate and I think it's about being honest about how you're feeling in those moments and and actually by speaking you will also find there are lots of other people who are experiencing similar things um and then there are lots of sort of support groups and things online depending on where you live um from where I live because I'm in Bromley um there's an organization called Casper and they have lots of different clubs um for lots of different age ranges and abilities um and they specialize specifically for children with autism and that's been a bit of a lifeline and so Jackson goes to club every Friday and it's like a youth club and he's got this friend called Georgie who wouldn't say he's a girlfriend they're just like hanging out but it is so cute and you don't have to make excuses for each other because they're going through the same sort of thing. And I think it's great when you find your people and, and yeah, finding a community, going back to that thing of community is so important. Mm. Thank you for that. I'm sure that'll be really valuable to a lot of people, as well as the honesty and vulnerability that you just showed in sharing all that. Thank you. So you told me that something you'd like to prioritise more as well, one area, <laughs> is that you want to get organised for 2023. <laughs> I can't believe, yes. Do you know what? Honestly, I actually think organisation is probably like the cure for most challenges in life. I genuinely think that when you've got your shit together and your airport's charged and your things that you need actually everything becomes so much easier I think we are so used to well certainly I say we because I hope there's more well <laughs> I hope I'm not the only person but I am so used to living in chaos and living in madness like leaving life deadlines to the very final moment and spending weeks and weeks and weeks an example of this is Jackson, not Jackson, Jude, trying to find him a new nursery because we've moved house. And I've wasted five months. Like we've got a nanny who's fine, but he could be in nursery as well, meeting his pals and not being a complete and utter spoiled brat. And what I've done in like holding him hostage in the house with his nanny has like breeded this child who now when we go to... <laughs> anywhere where there's other children he's like don't look at me to the other kids and I'm like wow I've created this could have just been organized he would have been in a nursery two days a week probably would have had a cold for two weeks of every month but mm -hmm. at least he'd be able to be with other kids without screaming at them that is just one example of the very long list Another example I'll give you is I'm at the moment in a house that's boiling, which is terrifying given the fact that we're in this crisis. It's boiling because I don't know how to turn the heating off yet. Should have just got a plumber out ages ago. But I'll pay for this in my £1,000 bill that I'm probably going to be receiving next month, which then also impacts the Christmas presents. Again, being organised would mean that people would have presents this year. These are simple things. Got this picture of like your megalomaniac son just uh <laughs> oh and he really is running around running, running like, around in a desktop park away from me yeah um Absolutely. are you good at delegation well at work I am and I've got good at it because I've realized when you entrust people with things 
great things happen. And I've really seen that happen at work. It's incredible, actually, how good everyone is when you actually give them clear instruction. At home, I tried this delegation thing at home. But when the only person you delegate to is your husband, who um, doesn't always action what he's his his tasks <laughs> this is when it gets problematic but what I would say my sister is a um she started this company where she's doing this like remote PA thing and I thought oh god you know what I'm just going to try it and I kind of gave her the task of booking like family holiday and bits and bobs and you have to pay for it I'm like for god's sake no not mates rates, but no, I actually still have to pay for it. But actually, it's a really great investment for me because it means that I'm not procrastinating about booking a holiday. So then all of a sudden the prices go up to the extortionate amounts. And I've just paid something like £30 an hour, whatever it is. And you just kind of go, oh, I need you to sort out X amount in like two hours or five hours or however many hours you want to allocate. And, um, and that's really kind of yielded some good results just in terms of headspace so yeah I think I'm going to be doing a bit more of that okay I'm hearing that you've got a great resource there in your sister I had a virtual PA for a while and she was brilliant I think the thing the um stumbling block that everyone comes across is like then you have to get organized enough to make the list of things you need to get organized with yeah to delegate them yeah it's really about finding that time to set aside to think I guess totally and and there's a saying where it's you've got to make time to take time and it's really true because I talk about this with my team a lot who are like you know I'm good at delegating to them but now they need to get good at delegating to their team and this is a constant battle I think agencies always find particularly when people are sort of growing and kind of kind of growing and developing in their own role but it's that thing of if you need to spend that initial time because you save you get hours and hours back so that initial 30 minutes is giving you like five hours back down the line so you need to just make that initial investment in time to then get the time back so I need to take my own advice and I need to do that so um how are you going to do that what are you going to commit to? I'm really going to commit to making time to really figure out what it is that I want to do for myself because I I'm I am so bloody excellent at doing it in a working capacity to the point where I over-index in that because I'm good at that and I'm like, oh no, but I'm really good at spending my time in this way. And I really just need to do that for myself, like silly things, like your laugh, like a pension, life insurance, you know, shit that really counts. It's all well and good you have when your clients have on covers and them making all the money. That's great for them. But when you're out on your ear, (laughs) scrabbling around, (laughs) you know, because you've got no pension and you're not employable, that's not going to be fun so yeah I need to figure that out those sorts of things you know the big stuff okay let's get quite specific do you think there's 30 minutes you could find this week that you can block out in your diary in order to make the initial list so you got it all down in one place definitely yes there is I mean there absolutely is because I've spent that time on Instagram so there is (laughs) (laughs) I've got a bag of those 30 minutes I've been just spending it on the gram. Got quite a few. It's like everyone could have written a couple of books by now. We could have all written a, like an encyclopedia of life. It works at this point. At this point, it's a bit of a joke. And now that I've got Pinterest for, because I'm creating a moment of joy for Christmas and want to try and make this moss, living moss tablescape, I've realised that I've actually got a lot I've got hours. <laughs> I've probably got a spare like five hours a day that I didn't realize I had. Pinterest is a hole. It's like a really beautiful, really fun hole. Pinterest as well. The shoppable nature of Pinterest is what's very scary for me because I 
I've only just started to properly indulge in the, the glory that is Pinterest. And I've already dropped a couple hundred pounds on this thing. And I'm really scared because it's too easy. It's almost easier than Instagram because everything's so clicky. You can just click, click, click. And then you've bought the whole moss tablescape with the wood <laughs> hanging from the ceiling that you don't know how to get on the ceiling. So, yeah, it's 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 good, but it's also very bad. They're tricky like that because they send you onto the shop as well. When they you search something and they're like, oh, we're only showing you the shop options. Oh, they know what no, they're I doing. I just want to explore. To someone who's never used Pinterest, this obviously makes no sense. Sorry about that. But, but I'm really, but perhaps, although it will bring you a lot of joy, maybe just hold off from the spending element because it gets you. It really does. I'm yet to go down there. Oh, God. Oh, Jordan, I think we'll leave it there. Make sure you set aside those 30 minutes this week. I will. I will. I will. And this has been, I didn't really know what to expect, but this has been incredibly cathartic and has highlighted my Pinterest addiction, which has only just started. (laughs) So we'll see what happens with that. No, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for making the time, especially after this after the passing of your your granddad in the in Judaism, we say wish you long life to 120 years. Love that. So wishing you a long life to you and your family and thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.